Hello and welcome to episode 4 of the Smashing Skull Sessions. I'm your host Richie and this podcast sets out to interview international bands and artists in the metal community. The show will also promote the Irish metal scene to the guests so they will have a better insight into Irish metal. I was delighted to welcome Jason Stalwart to this week's show. Jason is an independent musician who handles his music from end to end from writing and recording original material to managing his own marketing and promotional strategies. In addition to writing and releasing albums, Jason has an engaging YouTube following in which he provides metal guitar recording and metal guitar tutorials. He is also a published author and consistently gives his fans content through his blog. We had a really great chat on the show about beer, metal, and he also has a new album out called Masterpiece and there's a track on the show called Dragon's Flame. So I really hope you enjoy the show. Check out all of Jason's stuff. You can find him on jasonstalwart.com. Pretty active on YouTube and Instagram as well. Be sure to subscribe to the Smashing Skull Sessions and the Metal Cell Podcast. Both of them are my channels on YouTube. It would be much appreciated. And thanks for listening. Hello, this is Richie from the Smashing Skull Sessions. I am delighted and I really was looking forward to this to welcome Jason Stalworth to the show, man. How are you? Dude, I'm awesome. Thank you for so much for having me on the show. I've been following your Instagram for a while and I'm like, you know, I need to be on the show. I want to I want to meet Richie and I'm going to be on here, man. So I'm so glad we were able to connect and, and get this done, dude. Yeah, and you've, you're such an interesting character. But first, let's raise a beer to Eddie Van Halen, man. May he rest in peace. Dude, yes. Rest in peace, brother. Yeah. Man, I was not expecting that news. I I wasn't even sure that he was sick. Were you aware that he was sick? I wasn't. You know, two old bandmates, um, I'm not saying that they're old, punch me, (laughs) two old bandmates from back in the day reached out to me yesterday. It's like, dude, Eddie Van Halen passed away. I'm like, holy crap, man. I think he was most anybody in rock and metal at some point they were inspired by Eddie Van Halen, you know, so Absolutely. that was a hard hit, man. Yeah. It's hit. been a shit year for losing uh, great people involved oh, in music. Dude. It's just too much actually yeah. to think about, but I mean, what about your first Van Halen experience? Can you remember you know, what album was it? Was it was very first. It, it was a 5150 album. Oh, okay. It was Van Hagar. <laughs> Most people say <laughs> Van Hagar is not Van Halen. And I don't get I don't get to the uh, the David Lee Roth versus Sammy mm-hmm. Hagar. I love them both equally. I think both of them brought different things to Van Halen. Glad we have those different versions. You know, it's yes. good to have that. But yeah, fifty one fifty was it for me. Uh, and what turned me on about it is I'm a sucker for melodic style music. And mm-hmm. and but Eddie Van Halen is he can do all this amazing stuff on guitar, but. All times he would hulk a little bit on that album and even in playing in general and do what fit the song best. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? So that album yes. was so melodic, had so many hooks. Yeah, that was it for me, man. Yeah, I got 1984. My brother, so I would have been 13 and my brother was like 22. So he'd moved out and I inherited his record collection. And uh, that kid smoking the cigarette with the angel wings, I, I was looking at it going, wow, what's this? You know, you didn't even know it was a metal album. And I just remember putting it on and going, 
oh my God, I've never heard music like this before. Certainly <laughs> guitar playing, especially. Yeah. And that was it, man. That was my love affair straight away with Van Halen. I'd say it was relatively new when I inherited it because kind of the advent of MTV hit Ireland. So then you're suddenly seeing all these amazing bands, you know, Motley Crue's, the Van Halen's, all these great videos, but all these chicks and sunshine, rock and roll lifestyle. Who didn't want to be a rock and roll star in your teenage (laughs) years, you know? Yeah, dude. Might as well start at that. Whereabouts are you based, Jason? Where where were you raised? So, dude, I I I live in the Tampa, Florida area. Um, and really the little town that we live in in Tampa is called Sefner. What's interesting about the little town is that's where the band obituary is from. Oh. And um, where I live now, yeah, yes. dude, where I live now, this used to be considered like one of the metal capitals of the world, you know, here yeah. in Finland. Mars Scott Thorns. Yes, they're right here in Tampa, dude. All that stuff is here in Tampa. So you had so many bands, you know, cranked out of here. Uh, I'm originally from a little town called a little beach town called Pensacola, which is I'm I'm like one of the few native Floridians. You know, everybody that moves to Florida is from somewhere else. They move here to retire and enjoy the sunshine. (laughs) Yeah, that's right. I was actually born and raised in Pensacola. It's a beautiful place. I love it. I have have no complaints where we live. It's cool. But I grew up in Pensacola, Florida, north, uh, northwest, a little little beach town there. And I moved here in like 2000. So both of us have grown up then in two small beach towns that's interesting and what was the scene back then you know when you were like how did you hear metal how did you get into metal dude i was um i was about 15 15 years old and um i I was dude i was one of the small skinny kids that got picked on all the time no confidence my self-esteem was shit you know i didn't uh i and just didn't really have a lot going in life you know and one day i was on the bus we called it the cheese wagon. And uh, this kid, <laughs> this guy with long hair, so cool looking. I admired him so much. He had the jacket, the jean jacket with all the patches, you know, Megadeth, Metallica, all that. And uh, everybody thought he was a weirdo, but he was listening to something. He was jamming out, playing air drums on the bus. And, I'm, and I was kind of <laughs> intimidated by him. Please tell me what you're listening to. He pulled his headphone off. He smiled. He said, Metallica. And I'm like, Oh my God. So right then, Richie, I went and took my grass cutting money. I think I had 20 bucks in my pocket and I bought two cassette tapes, Metallica's Injustice for All and Master of Puppets. I was hooked for life. That was it. Was yeah. It. Wow. And Justice for All. So that was 88, 89 then, was it? Yeah, that was. So this was probably, uh, this was probably back in like 19, yeah, the end of 1989 is, is yeah. when, I, when I first discovered heavy metal music, you know. I was hooked though, Richie. I mean, it was like, it was just all the lack of confidence I had up to that point in life, you know, just all of a sudden I was reborn. It's like, okay, I know what I want out of my life. I just wasn't it's, sure how I'd pursue it, but I know I needed to be a part of metal, you know? Yeah. You summed it up there nicely. I'm the same. Once I heard rock music and later, yeah. of course, Metallica, I, that was it. I just, as you said, it was, it's like a calling, like a brotherhood. I would never, ever, um, imagine myself anything else but heavy metal fan 
And now I love all types yeah. of music as well, but I mean, my God, like, you know, they say metal could be a religion. Yeah, that's me signed, signed and sealed there straight away. Just like you, I like, I like you as well. You know, you mentioned that just now, like uh, sometimes, uh, sometimes you'll meet people that are stuck in one genre of music and, and they're like, this is all I like and screw everything else. But you mentioned you like other styles and I, you know, like I do as well. I just want to bring that mm -hmm. up real quick because, you know, I think it's important as much as, as passionate as we about metal music. I think it's okay to branch out and accept Absolutely. other things as well. And that's one of the things about the heavy metal community. I think for me personally, growing up in the 80s, it was the best time for music. You had pop music, but it was really good hooks. It was and there good. Was, yeah. There was rock music elements to it. Um, we had rap, like the rap music back in the day as well. The 80s rap was just incredible. So you had all this yes. mixing pot going on as a teenager coming through. You'd be hearing it on the radio, you'd see it on television. You're forming all these incredible ideas as someone that loves music going, yeah, of course bands can diverse. Of course, Antrax could yeah. team up a public enemy. Why not? It's the same. Right kind of yeah. diverse music but it's like you know it's angst it's anger it's frustrating yeah. why not mash them together i mean run dmc and aerosmith i mean you know you could go on but i mean that was cool it was yeah. so so great those years for me I'll, I'll never forget from 86 to yeah 1990 probably with the release of the black album all that time was just like slayer um, Antrax, yeah. Public Enemy, NWA, um, Duran Duran, just yeah. everything. I love was just that so, stuff, dude. I, oh so great. <laughs> yeah. Pet Shop Boys, I love Phil yeah, Collins, all I love that all that stuff. that stuff, dude. Man, we yeah. had it so good. Teenagers, people in their 20s don't understand what we had at the time. And because we had our cassettes, you could actually hold yes. your music. You're whole dude. <laughs> what is a cassette now? I two people that came to the yeah. house there um, from Canada. Um, I think it was two years ago now. Yeah. Um, friends of my wife's. And I have a wall. Like all my cassettes were in boxes. And I was just going, what can I do? I mean, I don't revisit these boxes. And then I went, right. maybe if I put double-sided tape and stick them on and tile them. And I tiled all this area with my favorite music at the time. So you'd see Fugazi there, you'd see The Cure there, you'd see Metallica there, you'd see The Screaming oh, Trees, Soundgarden, Fate No More, Public Enemy, you mm. name it. They were all on these cassettes. And these two early 20-somethings came and they were looking at this going, wow, that's really cool. And I goes, go up to them and actually open the box. And they were going, you can open it. And I goes, yeah, open the box. And they opened it. And I said, just take that out. And they were going, what is that? I, I mean it. I, they were actually, what is it? And I go, take it out. And they were looking at this clear, see-through thing going, they hadn't a clue. They were going, what is it? And I go, it's a tape. It plays music. Yeah. No idea. They didn't know how it <laughs> even worked. Where do you uh, put it? <laughs> it was like an it ancient device. Like? <laughs> but uh, as I said, it was just the love of it. You know, the, the physical holding of your tape that you paid money for um man i wouldn't swap my youth for nothing <laughs> no it sounds like we grew up in the same era too man i i love the 80s i love everything from the pop to the metal and all that stuff you know and it's like you know you're mentioning bands that collaborated i remember when metal church collaborated with sir mix a lot and oh, they did wow. a version of iron man and 
And That's I think right. that was kind of lost. Very was cool lost, lost in translation. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Dude, I forgot yeah. about that. I haven't heard that in years. Yeah. I love metal church, man. I do too. I, I had their blessing in disguise tape and, um, you know, I, I, that I grew up in the, still. <laughs> Oh, I know. Wow, dude. That's yeah. crazy. Yeah. Yeah. That's yeah. That's funny. Now you mentioned that because I did a small bit of research as, as I'm known to do, and you actually played in a church. I did dude. Do you want to talk about that and how, how it came about? Yeah. Yeah. I'll, I'll share some of that. So like I, I grew up in a church, uh, it was called, you know, the, like the religion was Pentecostal holiness. And to a lot of people that sounds very scary. It's like, Oh, you guys are like, you know, it's like a death metal concert. <laughs> <laughs> Just for a different purpose. But, uh, no, I, and like, like my parents, you know, I don't want to say they were, they're believers in God and Christ and all that, but they weren't like overly like overbearing, you know, they knew like metal was kind of frowned upon. It was a small town. Like, I say I grew up in a beach town, but it was, it was kind of really on the outskirts of that. So, you know, things like heavy metal and, and the imagery was frowned upon. So when I say metal church, things like metal church, I could say, well, this is a Christian tape because <laughs> it says church on it. <laughs> so you actually had to hide a lot of your stuff from your parents, maybe sort as well? Of. Mm-hmm. Yeah, sort of. I remember, I remember because I, I get like, I was kind of behind the curve, you know, and everything. And I, I remember coming home with a really bad report card, which you know, like a, a C was good for me, but I came home with a lot of D's and F's and my mom's like, all right, get that Metallica and those damn Yankees out of my house. Cause I had the uh, damn Yankees album too, okay. you know, and so they, they, they didn't the music. Yeah. Yeah. I kind of blame the music. And I think it was, it was, it was their way of saying it's like, okay, we're okay with you doing what you do, but just be decent and everything else and do what you're supposed to do. Mm. And that kind of thing. So actually, I got into Christian metal for a, a short stint there as well. Uh, bands like Mortification, which was like a Christian death metal band, if you can imagine that. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're, I think they're based out of Australia. But um, no, long story short, I, you know, I, of course, I got back into the mainstream metal. And I played in churches uh, for a long time, for 20 years or more. Um, every church I played in, at that point in time, I was going to more of what's called a contemporary church, you know, and it wasn't like the traditional boring, oh my God, I want to fall asleep. But the pastor, the first church I played guitar in, they were a startup and they were looking for a rock guitar player. So I'm like, okay. And they let me play guitar solos and all that stuff, dude. So it was more, it wasn't like grindcore metal or anything, but I was, <laughs> Obviously, I was yeah. yeah it was, it was like, you know, it wasn't that kind of thing, but it was, uh, I got to play my own style, which was very interesting. And it was uh, a good experience just to be on stage every Sunday to to some extent, you know, and Mm. I had my other band going back then as well. But yeah, I I, uh, haven't done that in a long time, probably, I don't know, almost like seven, eight years now. So, but yeah, I have a history of that as well. So kind of brings it interesting. Is that where you met Ronnie Goodman? So Ronnie Goodman was, he actually grew up in the church uh, that I was in and he was, and you've, you've done your research, man. He was one of my mentors and uh, this dude, he actually passed away a few years ago, dude. And, and talking about like, he was never famous. Right. And we put out some albums and stuff, but he was such uh, a lot of people like will think Christians are judgmental and some of them are many of them are, but he was one of those people. He was kind of like a Christian hippie, if you will. <laughs> Sounds cool. He played awesome. Yeah. Awesome guitarist. He taught me so much, mentored me. And uh, so I owe a lot of my, where I'm at today to that man. And again, unfortunately he passed away like uh, two years ago, but mm-hmm. yeah, he was, um, I grew up with him. I, he was like probably you know, 15 years, 20 years older than me, but I grew up with him. So 
And what kind of music was Ronnie into? Was he more into the blues or was he st- kind of rock? Or Yeah, he was into more of like a blues jazz. He had this uh, Fender Stratocaster, American Fender Strat, which he later sold to me. And then I got rid of after that because it wasn't metal. <laughs> I'm like, why don't I still have this guitar? And uh, he, The Follies of Youth. Yeah, dude. Uh, and he, he played through this Roland, uh, this Roland amp, this Roland jazz amp. So uh, he just, you know, he had a very distinct style, though. It was, you know, we played in church and all that stuff. And, you know, back then when I was playing in, in that church, we were playing like piano based songs. So it kind of forced me to learn the fretboard really well at a, at a young, as a young guitar player because we're playing in keys like E-flat and B-flat. Those aren't really guitar-friendly chords to play in. So course, I had to yeah. learn bar chords and all this stuff. So it was, it was actually a really good experience to go through all of that, you know, and it just kind of like helped me become better, uh, a, a, a better musician, not just a guitar player, if that means. Yes, yeah. And you probably developed your ear for music as well. True that. Yeah, dude, yeah. Yeah. When did the Satrianis, the Van Halens, when did you get access to them and what was it like hearing them for the first time? Yeah, Satriani's just a dude. Like I, I've got his book in here somewhere, Strange Beautiful Music. I, I'm a big Satch fan. My first song, I so I started playing acoustic guitar uh, the end of 1989. One of my uncles, he had this acoustic with four rusty strings on it, started playing it. He saw it as serious. I picked out Iron Man. That was my first song. It was pretty easy. And uh, dude, that's a beer you have. That beer looks so good, man. Yeah, Pinnacle. <laughs> that's awesome, dude. Um, I'll share what I'm drinking in a moment here. But no, yeah. so real quick, I, uh, I picked up the acoustic. My parents saw that I was serious about it. My uncle saw it serious. So they put strings on it. Three months later, they bought me an electric. But my dad teamed up with this local musician in town, um, this guy by the name of Ronnie Miller, who's still a pretty hot musician in Pensacola. And uh, he took me to a guitar shop, got me set up with a little Dean Markley amp and my first guitar, and took him over. He took, he took me over to his house and was like, dude, I want you to hear this. He puts in flying in the blue dream i melted it was game over because it, again you know what my my taste and i love stuff i even love some black metal stuff but i love melodies i love mm. the melodic feel mm. and when i heard that track i get chills even thinking about that time i'm like yeah. holy crap what is this dude yeah you know mm. he's got a signature sound so you'd know satriani like that um, two notes two notes it's him <laughs> it's him yeah um, there, there's actually quite a lot of guitarists like that. Would you have gravitated towards Satriani more so, or did you investigate further? Like, obviously, Hammett from Metallica, when you were I listening to him. Yeah. Yeah, another brilliant guitarist. He has these detractors as well, doesn't he? Yeah, I, I love his style. I love Kirk Hammett's style because he, you know, these types of guitar players, Kirk Hammett and and uh, Joe Satch, you know, you've got some really phenomenal guitar players out there that could, they can shred up and down the neck night and day. Mm-hmm. But then after yeah. 20 seconds, it's like, oh, okay, I'm asleep now. <laughs> you know, but, but guys like Kirk Hammett and Joe Satriani, like they have it in the tank to pull out pretty much whatever they want at any given time. But they also know what to do, what's best for the song and to yes. captivate the listener. Yes. And that's a huge thing for guitar players, man. Huge. Mm. So, and Kirk Hammett does that. The Black Album, for example, Richie, the Black Album, I, a lot of people 
like pick on that, but I think it was phenomenal because Kirk does all this eerie sounding stuff, spooky sounding stuff. And you can like, he's big into horror, right? Mm. You can sense that in his playing. So yes. it's like, Whoa, this is, this yeah. is cool, man. Yeah. You're spot on. And a lot of it is down to him recognizing mm-hmm. that the song is bigger than the actual guitarist. I don't think a lot of people pay attention to that much. So they tend to criticize a lot more because of it. I mean, you can see the absence of him in which one is it? Sent Anger? That he's, he's not even yeah, allowed to solo. Yeah. There's the absence straight away. It's just like, Jesus Christ. Yeah, like, what is this? You know? <laughs> yeah, it's awful, man. Now, we'd say the young Jason that's hitting his 20s, what was your thought process back then? Were you determined to try and stay on the path of making a career out of music or did you have to conform and jump in and try and earn a wage to maybe supplement your passion? This is a tough question, dude, um, because it, it kind of brings me to some of the things that, and I'll, I, I like to be transparent. I love putting myself out there and being honest, but uh, you know, I, I conformed. I, you know, went to junior college. I didn't do that well. I was on acting scholarship back then. And um and then shortly after that, it was like, I, I knew in the back of my mind and in my heart, I wanted to pursue music, but I think that you and I are, especially our generation, we were taught, we were taught a series of patterns. You, you go to school, you get good grades, then go to a college, then go get a job, yes. work for somebody else, save your money, invest in your 401k. And maybe one day when you're 60 freaking something years old, you get to retire and then you die. Yeah. And dude <laughs> so i struggled with that for so long and you know mm-hmm. you know exactly what i'm talking yeah, about i do exactly and, yeah. it's, and it's uh so really it was my life was kind of like really in the shitter like during my 20s you know i, I went through two divorces because you know, you're following that pattern you're getting married and you're doing these things and it's like okay this is what i'm supposed to do this is what society expects me to do and i i kind of gave into that i don't want to like no, it's okay. But I mean, you're dead right. You do feel that you have to give in to that. And then it might just take, yeah, what was the turning point actually? Where was that? I, the turning point was very strong. My, my current wife, uh, who we've, we have been together now, uh, we just actually officially tied the knot in Vegas. Congratulations, man. Here's to your good health and happiness, yeah. man. Thank you, brother. Uh, but we met in 2008. And uh, what, I, I suck at math. What are we in now? 2020. So yeah, we met in 2008, dude. <laughs> and life for me changed, man, because after going through two divorces, uh, I was kind of playing acoustic out, but I, I really had given up on my musical dream. I was just like, you know, I would just, uh, I'll just be what I am, you know, I'll just be drunk most of the time and kind of float through life. And, you know, maybe something happened, but I met her, things changed. And I said, you know what? Because at that point, I didn't have any studio gear. I had pawned it all because of my second marriage. And like, that's yeah. a bad story. But <laughs> <laughs> I, got, I got back. I got my... Um, How old were you then, Jason? I was to probably... Uh, yeah, yeah. So I, I, I was 33 when I met my, my current wife now. Wow. So two I, divorces. Yeah, and, yeah, two divorces at 33. Uh, and at 33. Jesus Christ. Not a good okay. track record, dude. Well, <laughs> going downhill you fast. Know, <laughs> <laughs> that's, but it's a difference type of living yeah. over in America anyway, you know, I mean, Catholic yeah. Ireland here, man, you'd be shot. You'd be dragged out <laughs> and shot after one divorce. <laughs> you're like, nope, it's not happening, dude. <laughs> yeah. You'll no. grin and bear it. <laughs> yeah, you just got to let through it, dude. Yes, you know? yeah. Sorry, oh, go God. on, go on. That was, um, yeah. So no, no, 33, um, yes. Come back, That's when yeah. life changed. Life changed. I, I, you know, her and I got together and I kind of found like this new fire and it's like, 
I'm a musician. I'm a songwriter. I'm a guitarist, you know, and I'm a songwriter. And I'm all these things that I haven't been the past, you know, several years. Uh, so I started accumulating studio gear and I said, screw this. I'm, I'm releasing an album. So I released my very first album in 2013, Apocalyptic Dreams, which was an instrumental, I'd say a metal, instrumental metal, but it's more kind of on the hard rock, classic okay. heavy metal stuff. Okay. You, know? uh, um, you did the whole thing yourself or did you, did you need help? No, I did everything myself. I did, I, uh, oh. you know, I did, I did the, because it was just an instrumental. There's no rules in it. So it was kind of, I don't say that's easier, but honestly it is, dude. Like, you know, if you're just focused on guitar, I did my own bass tracks. Um, I found, I found drum loops and <laughs> I hate to admit this, but I found drum. They were actually recording okay. in the studio. There's a company called Beta Monkey. And they, they produce a series of drum loops called Double Bass Mania. And, um, you know, my latest album, and we can talk about that later, but I, yeah. I actually hired a real drummer, Cameron Flurry, out of Canada. And he's actually recording drums on my album I'm recording right now. But uh, but back then, I, it was kind of one of those things was like, well, I didn't have a lot of money to invest. And I'm like, this is what I have. And I think sometimes people, Richie, I think sometimes people let their limitations their their seemingly limitations hold them back hmm. and there, there's a quote and i can't i think it's on some movie and several entrepreneurs have said this it's like you know if you argue for your limitations you get to keep them yeah it's very powerful dude you know is, so i'm actually, like you know yeah. i'm releasing this i'm just gonna get out and actually i got a lot of good feedback from it over the years dude so i you know and um here i am you know working on album number five so it's incredible where were you releasing it to jason like did you were you aware of a scene that you were releasing it out to was it through youtube or was it myspace back then or um what year was that that was 2013 and i actually i actually released it to the world dude i i i that album i released it on spotify itunes i went through a company called cd baby and uh derek derek silvers is one of the this he's the one i believe who started that famous entrepreneur and i because i was digging i'm like how do i release this you know i mm -hmm. i put stuff on youtube sometimes i'm like well that's not really releasing it you know i'm just playing on youtube i do that now you know <laughs> so i wanted i'm like i want an album so there's so many digital and, and I'm starting to help other guitar players with this as well. Uh, I've got a couple, I've got like a blog post series on my site that takes guitar, that takes musicians through the process on how to do that, how to release your own album. Cause you, you have the access to do that. But back then it was, you had to dig for it. So I, I was, if you're determined to do something, you will find a way. And I was like, I'm going to put out an album. So uh, CD baby, you know, you pay them a fee and they just release it on all platforms. So, you know, I remember the release date. I go on Spotify and iTunes. I'm like, hey, there I am. I'm official now. <laughs> it must <laughs> have been an nice incredible things. feeling for you after such a long time and it so much baggage that you brought to that point. And then just oh, to drop dude. it and go, this is me now. This is this is my turning point. Just the absolute buzz of seeing your album up there. Cover art, everything there, yeah. It was great. My, my funny thing you mentioned cover art. I uh, I looked at the I looked at the sky one night and there's a full moon. So I just took a snapshot on my whatever phone, <laughs> probably some old piece of crap phone, and and I just put some kind of like coloring on it and some cool font. There's my album cover. <laughs> and were you hanging around with any musicians at that stage, Jason? Other other than the people that I was playing with at church, no. Um, the thing because I was still playing pretty heavily in the church on a weekly basis back in those days, and. Uh, 
And that was the, that kind of kept me in the scene without really being in the scene. It, at least I was with other people that played instruments. It wasn't really the style I wanted to play, of course, but mm -hmm. sometimes experience just in general will help you push through your life. And so it's almost like practicing, practicing your guitar. You're not necessarily playing metal the whole time. You're practicing technique. So mm -hmm. there I was at least on stage and I was practicing and, and that was just a good experience to keep my foot in the door, you know, if that yeah. makes sense. So where were you in relation to, had you your own channel set up in YouTube or what activity were you doing at social media at that stage? I think YouTube. Um, so I met my wife, by the way, on, on MySpace. <laughs> you know, we're talking about Tinder. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Tinder. Yeah, dude. <laughs> That's why you're bringing up cassettes and how that sounds ancient. Now you say MySpace, like, what is MySpace? It's like a dinosaur. Yeah. Uh, but no, dude, I, so I, the only social, I think we're on Facebook back then, but really wasn't doing much, you know, uh, but I was on YouTube. I started my YouTube channel in June of 2010. Mm. Richie, it took me 10 years to get 10,000 subscribers. Isn't that crazy? <laughs> now the channel started. 10,000. I absolutely believe it. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah, my God. It's just a different animal altogether, YouTube. I'm still trying it to is. figure it out. I'm not too sure myself. It's really frustrating, but you know, do you know what? I'm just going to just keep moving forward. That's my yeah. mentality. Create and move forward. You and I will talk it. about this. We, we'll, I'll, we'll, talk, we'll talk about this uh, later after the show, and, I, and, I, yeah. and maybe I can help you because I would cool. definitely want to do that. I'd love to do that. Um, I love to pe see people succeed in doing what they want to do. You have an awesome show. Like what you're doing is awesome. So thank you. You know, we want to, we want to like praise that stuff and put it out there. But yeah, I started my YouTube channel uh, in 2010 and that was about the time I was accumulating all my gear. So I'm like, you know, I can go make some videos just for fun, just for the heck of it. And, um, and dude, like I've got a speed picking video that just took off like crazy. I didn't know the marketing back then. I didn't really, I didn't know how to promote properly. And I didn't really see YouTube as a business like I do okay. now. Yes. Now it's part of my business It's part of, mm -hmm. it's actually under my LLC, you know, but it's, uh, I didn't realize it. And there was, there was a time I kind of fell off YouTube and was not really like, uh, consistent with it. And I, I kind of missed out on a crucial time when it was really starting to take off. But, um, mm -hmm. Anyway, so yeah, but that, that was really the only form of social media. So we'll say your second album, I presume, had you a steady job at that stage as well? You were, you were working both, as in yeah. playing the church, yeah. uh, writing a second album, and also in the rat race, as I call it, oh trying to earn God, money. Dude. Yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. I just left the rat race in two, uh, early this year, dude, in two thousand January 2020. Uh, you know, I walked away from my corporate job. That's incredible. Job. Fair play to you, man. Yeah, dude. I'm not saying that's the smartest thing to do, but... Well, yeah. Because, like, you know, with, with this everything that happened this year, I'm kind of, um, you know, we're... I've got... A, I run a fitness blog, too, a muscle-building uh, website that I've had for a long time now, and that, that earns us some money. And, you know, I can pick up freelance and contract work and stuff like that, but I don't, I don't ever see myself going back to being an employee for some yes. major company yes. like I was. I mean, mm -hmm. sitting in a cubicle is just like, it's just soul killing. Yes, you know? of course it is, man. Especially someone as creative as you. Okay, so yeah, second album. What was the inspiration behind it? Can you remember? I do, yeah. I, so I... I had already did an instrumental metal album and I kind of wanted to carry that on. And I, at that point in time, I considered myself just an instrumental metal music guy. Mm -hmm. You know, that's just what I was going to do. 
So I, and I wanted to tie something in with working out uh, about the same time I played, started playing guitar. I also started uh, training because again, I was a small skinny kid and, and lifting weights was a means to an end. You know, it took me about seven years to really grow, but <laughs> uh, I wanted to tie something like, you know, there's not really any, there's, there's workout music, but there's no album out there that's specifically made for working out. So, so I created heavy metal workout. Yes. Okay. Cool. Yeah. So you spotted that niche. Yeah. That was a little niche and, uh, and it does, it, that actually that album still does that first album. I, um, or the first heavy metal workout album. Cause I did a sequel of that, just a little bit heavier version, you know, of it <laughs> later in 2017, but that album still does well. It still gets most of the listens on Spotify, man. So brilliant. Really, and what's the name of that album, Jess? It's just called heavy metal workout. Okay. Okay. There's heavy metal workout released in 2016. And a year later I released heavy metal workout too. I kept it super simple, dude. It's just <laughs> instrumental metal. Yeah. And there's kind of a science behind it though, Richie. There's yes, kind of like cool. a, there's like a, you know, I, I studied the BPMs that people like to work out to and the types of beats that would be motivating. And the music was really, the music was simple to write because there's not, there's really no stops or slowdowns. And of course there's no vocals. Sometimes mm -hmm. vocals can be distracting when you're trying to concentrate, yeah. you know? So I'm like, this is just made for working out. It's just, I, I kind of deem it as like lounge music for the gym. That's probably not the right term, but you know, yeah. lounge doesn't sound hardcore, but you know what I mean? It's like, yeah, it's I just do, yeah. background for working out is what it mm. was. What I created that for. So, um, yeah. Was that just a, a digital release, Jason? Yes, it was. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, that's very interesting, man. And how did you get into weightlifting? Was it weightlifting or just working out or? Is no, it, it, was weight, it was specifically weightlifting, dude. I was, I was just, uh, like I said, I got picked on a lot, man. I mean, there was, there's this one kid, dude. I mean, this kid was in our church and, you know, he, he meant well, right. He like, if somebody were to mess with us, he would protect us, but he was so strong. He would like hold us down. It's like, all right, you got to call me uncle before I let you back up, you know? And he's like, Oh, you know, I just get so pissed off. I'd wanted to overpower that. But I, I got picked on by other kids that were more serious. I remember in sixth grade, one kid just like shoved me up against a locker for no reason. And was like, I'm going to beat your ass, you know? And, just like I remember certain incidents like that because I, you know, it's like the animal kingdom. Kids are like animals. Uh, when an animal is weak, the other animals sense that and mm -hmm. they attack it. You know, it's just, it's kind of like, a, I don't know, it's in our blood or something. So going through that, I was like, no, and uh, I'm, I'm going to, I'm going to overcome this. I'm going to start lifting and, you know, get bigger or whatever. But I, I never got like bodybuilder bigger or anything like that. I love, I love that sport and all that, but I never took it to that extreme. Yeah. That was why. And it means to an end, but it turned into a passion, which it was, it turned into like, I, I love doing it. I still wake up at four, four, four thirty in the morning, you know, most mornings and go train, you know? Jeez. Okay. Wow. Well, what stage were all those workouts and stuff going on? Well, I, I trained, dude. I, like I started lifting weights, uh, young age, like around 14 years old. Oh, and I, and okay. This yeah. Was, okay. So right, I tell okay. you, this is the one thing that stayed constant throughout my life, mm. you know, uh, going through the divorces and, and some of the other dumb decisions I made, you know, cause I, yeah. I always tell people when they're going through hard times in life, I, I tell people this and it sounds harsh, but and I'm, I'm kind of stealing this from Grant Cardone, but you know, if you, if you look at yourself and look and say, everything that happens in your life is your fault. It's my fault. I'm accountable somewhere down the line. And once you accept that, then you have total control over everything that happens in your life hmm. because now you can change it or you can react differently to those things that maybe happen. So 
Anyway, that's just a side note, but training was kind of like, uh, that was kind of constant through all the bad decisions I made, you know, to, cause I can't say the women were bad people. Maybe they were, but I chose to be with them. Right. Yeah. My choice, you know, it mm. is my choice not to leave or whatever, but it's, um, the you training. had the stability of the training. That was your, yeah. that's what I'm that trying to me. get to. That's, that's You're what right. kept you going. Um, I can't going. help but add Arnold Schwarzenegger. Was he an influence? Oh, dude, huge, no pun intended, a huge influence, man. <laughs> yeah. Wow, he, for so many people back in the day, yeah. his workout videos and whole demeanor, the way he holds himself and promotes physical fitness as well. Yeah. Um, how did you come across him? You know, back in the day, watching movies like Predator and, and you know, and all his movies that he had back then. And Sylvester Stallone, those guys were just kind of my heroes. They had muscles, you know, yeah. and, and, and I just, you saw that and you, you it was either so appealing that you're going to go do that because that was part of my inspiration or, you know, you were turned off by it. But I was like, man, Arnold's a man. So, uh, and I was, as I was getting into bodybuilding and looking through the magazines, of course, he was in like every magazine you could possibly think of back then <laughs> and uh, Arnold was just so cool though dude like yeah. you know like he just seemed like a cool person a lot of people think that weightlifter guys and meatheads are just assholes and it's like no the majority yeah you got some people like that but the majority of people that train are just down-to-earth cool people and willing to help people you know and Arnold yeah. was that person so yeah. he had a huge huge influence on, on my training and, and life in general dude you know excellent a real good person as well backed it up outside of Hollywood as well, you know, to be fair. Yeah. Yeah, dude. You did say there that you'd acting classes. When I came across you, first of all, your voice definitely, I mean, I don't know, man, I'm just randomly throwing this at you. No, yeah, that's cool. <laughs> I always think of John Goodman when I hear your voice. Because <laughs> I'm a huge, big Lebowski fan, you know? Oh, dude, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you keep using dude, it's just like, yeah. the subtle tones, man. Have you ever gone down that route maybe looking for voice work through animation or or have you actually even pursued the dream of becoming maybe an actor I, i'm just throwing this out to you I, I would love it i would absolutely love it i you know i remember in junior college i was in this little town called bruton alabama you know of all places to go but um in alabama in certain parts of alabama are actually really cool um but i was in this small little prestigious town with a lot of like highly sought after educators at this specific college, Jefferson Davis. And I uh, somehow got an acting scholarship after trying out me and my cousin both did at the time. And uh, you know, my parents sent me to that college. I didn't go to college after that. I, I didn't like, I mean, that's another story. I, I didn't, I, mm -hmm. I do have degrees and all that. I got later in life, which, and I don't, I don't promote getting degrees because I, I honestly think they're a waste of time, but whatever uh, it's junior college my parents sent me to the smaller one because they thought I would, you know, do better there. Cause I didn't do so well in school, you know, but anyway, back to acting, I loved it. I was in the man of La Mancha play. Uh, and I was also in Huck Finn and Lana man of La Mancha actually played acoustic guitar in part of that as well. Uh, I have vague memories of that, but I would love to be a part of that. I never pursued it. Um, you know, we're talking about before how you get sucked into you know, just the life going to a regular yeah. job and just doing that. And, and what happens is we accumulate, whether it's wives or kids or, or bills and houses and all this, all this mm. like shit, we really, yeah. do we really need all this right now? You know, once you get sucked into that, 
you're kind of screwed. You kind of screw yourself. You know what I mean? From pr- really pursuing your dreams. Cause I remember one point in life, I was working two and three jobs constant for years, you know, just trying to make it. So, yeah. Um, it's, it's mad. There's just so many signs along the way that if you actually stopped to look at maybe one or two of those signs and go, I can actually go this way. I can go. Yeah. Sometimes <laughs> you actually need a friend to help you as well yeah. to just go, man, you, you have a talent, do it. Yeah. And then there's so much other stuff going on in your brain. The conformity. I mean, I was in that position myself, so frustrated, loving the music, but what could I contribute to that music? Um, I played bass myself. And, oh, awesome, dude. Yeah, and always went to thousands of gigs and just in the end just got so frustrated at hearing so many brilliant bands in Ireland and then going, who's going to promote them? They're trying their best themselves. Can anybody else do it? And I'm looking around going, nobody's doing this. Why can't I? I have the passion, you know? That's you, man. Yeah. And I, I just did it. I didn't think too much about it. I mean, I was this frustrated musician, but I never had the time with family. Time is always the biggest enemy, Jason. I keep saying that time is our enemy. And uh, then I just went to know what, I'm going to do it and see where it will bring me. And it's the best decision I made in my life because it is me. That is me. (laughs) That's just a short summary. (laughs) No, I love that about you though, dude, because you're, you're doing it. It takes balls to do that. It takes courage to step out and do that. Because when you started doing this, tell me, when you started doing this, did you not have several voices in your head saying, no, that's not the safe route. You really shouldn't try that. You're not going to be good. You know, you have all these voices coming into yeah, your head. Just absolutely. Saying, oh, and it's, uh, it's, it's called the lizard part of our brain. I was listening to someone a while back talking about this, you know, the, the lizard part of your brain, the lizard thinks that, okay, well, I just want to get laid food and safety. That's it. So <laughs> when we're faced with decisions, when we step out to do something great that we're not used to doing, our, our lizard part of our brain kicks in and says, wait a minute. No. That's probably the loudest voice. It is. It really is. Yeah. So we had to just break it, man. You know, we had to break past that. And you did that. You're doing like you're doing this, this podcast, this show right now, which is, again, I've been watching you for a while. It's phenomenal, dude. I love ah, it. Thanks, so. <laughs> man. Thank you so much. That means a lot, man. It's good work, man. Just trying to get up to your latest album. Your third album was, again, another instrumental. But at that stage, you probably yeah. were thinking maybe I should be singing at that stage. Yeah, you know, like my third album was was Heavy Metal Workout 2. It was just like when I made Heavy Metal Workout 1, dude, I was just starting to really get into a lot of European melodic death metal like ah, Arch Enemy and Amon Amarth, okay. Evergrade, nice Tom England. Yeah, and I was like, oh, my God, my taste. It's funny because, you know, I'm 45 years old now, and, and people used to tell me, it's like, well, when you get older, you're not going to like metal anymore. I'm like, what am I supposed to listen to? Smooth jazz? I mean, come on. Yeah. It, my tastes have gotten heavier. Yes. Know? Yeah. And the I, European and scene is very strong, man. So good. So you just named the Man of Mart there. Great example. Yeah. Fucking hell. I saw them in Cork, which is my home city. Oh, and they played to 80 of us. Wow, man. In a little <laughs> bar in Cork really? called the Krushkin Lawn, man. Yeah. 
We were oh hugging them and dude. fucking chatting to them afterwards. They barely had r- enough room to put up the drum kit. Wow. <laughs> now, this is, is them starting off, you know what I mean? But I mean, yeah, still, yeah. like, it was just incredible. And then we went to them coming back and playing Limerick. And I'll give a shout out to Bad Reputation, John and Kieran. They got them to a castle that was basically John's castle in Limerick. The whole theory was that Vikings actually came up the river and the Monomar played there to a few thousand of us, and it was just mind-blowing. But you got to see them in, in like, like when they were beginning, though. Oh, absolutely, 100%. Oh, man. It's ridiculous. As I said to you, I've gone to thousands of gigs, man. I, I saw Nirvana mm. in, the, in the same type of venue. Wow, uh, dude. Just so many, so many bands in tiny venues. And then just to, and to know what as well, it's great. You'd wear the T-shirt and the pride that you yeah. feel when those bands get to the stadiums, the arenas. So nice. So good. It's amazing, dude. I mean, but yeah, I, I, I discovered that whole new realm of music for me. You know, I was always kind of boxed in musically. Like when I, when I started out listening to Metallica, it's all I wanted to hear at that time. And I, I ventured into the hair bands a little, but I didn't really start getting into the heavier stuff until later on. But yeah, once I, once I started getting to the European melodic death metal scene, uh, my style just like overnight progressed. So I'm like, well, Heavy Metal Workout was good classic metal album, but I want to do something a little bit more aggressive. So I did. Mm. And I'd already written a lot of the music for that. Like I was writing Heavy Metal Workout and Heavy Metal Workout 2 probably simultaneously. So I already had much of the music written for the sequel. So I'm like, let me just do this. But then after that, I was like, I... I need to go to a different level now. I need to take it to the next level. You know? Wow. And how did you figure that one out just through listening to the bands that you talked about and figuring out the chords and yeah. Yeah. It's just, um, and I, the funny thing is like, I never really, I, I never was a big fan of learning other people's songs. I did that as a beginner guitarist, okay. but after that it was always, no, I don't want to play other people's music. I want to play mm-hmm. my own. I want to write my own, you know? Yeah. And um, it, so I just started writing, uh, it's funny, like even some of the music on the latest album I released last year, which my first vocal album, um, the some of the songs were written way back. I just took, I took some of those songs and just translated them into a seven string guitar because this last album masterpiece, 2019, was my first album singing and my mm-hmm. first album with a seven string guitar. But I just, I I'd always been a singer throughout my life, but not the greatest singer. But I started really getting into death metal vocals and and trying that. I'm like, you know. I love this. And, uh, you know, I, I ran a test run by some friends of mine who would be brutally honest with me and tell me, it's like, okay, Jason, no, you, you suck. Don't do that. Or yeah, you know what? Try it, do it. Mm. Uh, so I went from there, dude. And I just put my heart into it, man. And that was, um, masterpiece, masterpiece, dude. <laughs> Let's hear a track yeah. off it. Uh, do oh, you dude. have, um, any particular song that you have in mind? Uh, Probably, you know, I, I think I think some of the favorites really is the first track on there, Dragons, Dragons Flames. That's Flames. Yeah, that one's that one's got multiple vocal styles in it, the very first track there.
Man, that had so much going on there, especially as an opening track. That's what you want, man. That's what sets the fucking bar for the rest of the album. Was that an obvious opener? Yeah, it was It was very clear. Uh, that one, like after reviewing the album, the songs, that was like that had to be the opener. It was clear. Okay. Know. Yeah, good choice, man. Good choice. Thank, and thank and you how did you meet the drummer, did you say, Jason? Or how did you come across him? Uh, I met him through another guy out, another guy I was recording guitar for out in LA and he's a solo artist. He hasn't released his album yet. I think he's going to release something next year, but he had kind of like a bluesy rock thing I was doing for him. And he found me, I guess, through either YouTube or something. And, and then he said, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm using this guy for drums. You know, you should reach out to him. So, uh, of course that style that I was recording for this guy really wasn't metal. So I was like, okay, whatever, you know, but I looked mm. Cameron up, Cameron Flurry. He's out of Canada. I looked him up on YouTube and I'm like, Oh wow, this dude's a metal drummer and he's phenomenal. So I reached <laughs> out to him and then, you know, like, like he's, he's doing the second album for me now, yeah. my fifth album, but it's the second time using him. And, uh, yeah, I mean, he's just phenomenal. yeah, I hear Nick Menza there as well. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that was another gig I saw actually in Dublin, um, the Megadeth Rust and Peace tour with Alison Chain supporting. Dude, yeah, that was a serious fucking gig. <laughs> wow, <it> was. wow. <laughs> How did you decide to write a book? Oh, dude. So that was uh, what was that? I released uh, that in 2017, shortly after Heavy Metal Workout Part Two. Yeah, I just, you know, it's like, I'm not well, and I'm still not well known enough to really like write an autobiography. So I, but I still wanted to put something out there that was related to working out and music and metal. And I figured if I shared my story with people, or some of my story, and some of the challenges that I, I faced, uh, and then just the book is all over the place, man. I, I go through the recording process and, and give you some workout guidance and all this stuff is kind of everywhere, but it's, uh, I just want to put something together in that arena that would help other people. Mm. And that was the whole preface behind that. It's like, it wasn't really, uh, and I tell people when they buy the book, it's not, the book's about me, but it's not really about me. It's about, yeah. it's really about you and how can mm. you be inspired by this? You know what I mean? Yeah. Because I mean, again, there's a lot of people out there that won't go through the whole YouTube side of things. You can get to more so by audiobooks, for example. Yeah. And I love reading. Um, I don't I don't listen to the audiobooks, which is strange. I like listening to podcasts, but audiobooks, I haven't gone down that rabbit hole yet. Maybe I love it, but I always just love having a physical book in my hand as the eyesight have, has gotten worse, unfortunately, with age. Oh, no, dude, yeah. <laughs> It's a bit of a problem, so I just fucking got glasses in the end. But um, yeah, I definitely <laughs> love a good read and I admire you. That is a challenge in itself to write a book. Had you anything to kind of guide you or, you know, there's, there's obviously certain things that you would definitely look to and go, how do you actually formulate a book? And yeah, did you investigate a lot or did you just literally write it was kind of so the funny thing is, is like it, it all goes back to my childhood. I was a writer then. I used to do a lot of creative writing then as well as writing music. But then I got into my 20s and I did the married and getting two or three jobs thing. So that mm. kept me away from all of my passions. Yeah. So it was just when I started uh, writing and recording music as a serious musician, as, as you know, as wanting to do this for my life, um, I also started writing as well. And around, around, 2008 i met my wife about a year later i started accumulating studio gear started recording music mm. 
about a year after that, 2010-ish, when I started my YouTube channel, I also started the fitness blog called themuscleprogram.com. So I started so the, writing for that site. Yeah, yeah. okay. So that's, that's um, where you got out your creative juices, writing yeah. was. Yeah, dude. I always want to do something in those arenas. So I'm like, well, let me let me just – you come to a point in life, Richie. And then like like you said with this, with what you're doing now, you're helping promote bands and, and really putting the word out there and doing good work. You know, it's like you get to a point in life, he's like, this is what I should have been doing all along, but so frustrating. Yeah. Yeah. It very, it very much is. I'm glad we're doing it now. Yes. Though, you know, yeah. it's we, what counts. Um, but you know, you, we're from the same camp though, dude. We like our, we like our cassettes and CDs. We like our physical books. I like sit on my patio and read a book. I don't, yeah. I listen to podcasts, you know, that's a little bit different, but for a book, I want to read the book, dude. You know, yeah. I want a book. If I have a book in me and it's, um, it's probably not quite three quarters way there, but it's rested. It's exhausted me and I just parted to the side. It's okay. It's nothing to do with heavy metal or anything like that. It's just um, a work of fiction based on Good. maybe two or three characters. And it was before the podcast, obviously, because now with the podcast, I don't have the time. As I said, time is the enemy in this, but I parted it. I got so far with it and I went, yeah, this is actually... This is this is really good progress considering I went through it such a creative period with that book and I just parked it and it's there. And I will revisit it. But and and you again it's just trying to get the creative spirit out. Yeah. I, I, I'm telling I'm telling you right now, so you you're accountable to me right now. You have to finish <laughs> that book. I'm serious. Here, here's what happens. Here's what something I recently learned from uh, Gary Vaynerchuk. I listen to him sometimes, Gary V on YouTube. And, you know, he said, oftentimes people will overestimate what they can do in six months, but they okay. underestimate what they can do in 10 years. Mm. And it, what I've learned with writing books, with writing music is you really have to sit down and plan things out. And you have to say, okay, this week, these two hours, this is what I'm working on. These two hours, this is what I'm working on and so forth. And you kind of have to schedule. I know us creative people, we don't like schedules, but you really do have to no. stick <laughs> schedule. You know, if yeah. you don't, it won't happen though. You know yeah. what I mean? Like if I, I've gotten off schedule the album I'm recording right now and guess what's happened? Nothing because <laughs> I've gotten off my schedule. So I, I will be creating, you know, creating new schedule for that this week. But uh, the, the second thing I say about your book and creative, sometimes you do have to walk away from things and come back to them. But I think you need to. I think you need to force yourself to go back to it at a certain point, because our motivation and our creativeness, it doesn't. It's not just bestowed upon us. It happens when we take action, and you take action all time now with what you're doing. But I think, I think you need to schedule some time in, maybe next week, even or next month or whatever, and say, okay, you need- yeah. Do you not find then as well though? Because that's my biggest problem is I'm overcritical of myself. Oh, yeah. 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 Even with the book now, I know if I go back to that, I will just fucking criticize myself so much that I just won't make any progress with it. But as I said, I just recognize what, how far I got and parked it. And that's it. I just went, okay, leave it as such. You, you have to revisit it, though, because it's part of your legacy. It's part of who you are. And even like, I know, I know what you're saying, you know, like something we worked on many years ago or a few years ago, whatever we, we think, well, we're better now than we were back then. So you're thinking if I re if I go back through it now, I'm, it's just going to be garbage to me, but you got to understand though, 
what you were feeling and what you're going through that time in your life as you're, those are being reflected in your writing, even though it's fiction and fiction is mm. hard to write, dude. Mm. But even though it, those things were being translated from your life and, and what you experienced to this fictional, these fictional characters. So that's going to speak to someone. Yeah. You, your characters, what they're going through and the actions are taking and so forth there, that is going to speak to someone. It's going to be relevant to someone, to many people, hopefully. Uh, so I think you just go back, you can proofread it, but just go ahead and make the decision that, you know, I'm not going to delete this book. Uh, you may read through it and revise some things. That's fine. Yeah, yeah. We get hung up on the details sometimes though. Sometimes it's best just to do it, let someone else proofread it and just and put it out there. Let I, someone else. Mm, read it. I think it just culminated with that book. I went on to the podcast, just couldn't deny what was, what was inside me. Just like, I have to do stuff and out it went. No, this is good. This is great. Yeah, it's strange that it took so long for me to, to get to that point, but I'm so grateful that I have now. And mm -hmm. let's talk about your Metal and Beers podcast. How did that come about? Oh, dude, Metal and Beer. I, dude, I just started a new Metal and Beer YouTube channel. I, I used to do beer reviews, and maybe you've seen really? them on yeah. my Jason Stallworth channel. Oh, yeah, I have. Yeah, yeah, sorry. Yeah. And I, I decided to segregate those. Uh, for one, those videos weren't getting many views. So okay. I was like, you know, I'm like, do at some point in, you have to make things a business decision. Like, okay, if, if I'm spending X amount of time on this, but it's not gaining traction, sometimes you have to ditch it and, mm. and spend more time into things that it's gaining momentum. You know what I mean? Otherwise you stay stagnant and you stay down. Uh, so I'm like, well, I love metal and beer. Why don't I just do a separate channel? And I said, I'll just do one video a week and I'll just, mm -hmm. I won't even play guitar in it. I'll just drink beer. And I'll like, I just, before we got on this podcast, I, I did a, a review of this beer here, the shipyard smashed pumpkin. <laughs> it looks, it looks delicious. <laughs> uh, yeah, dude, it's pretty good. So it's like, I'll, I'll make it a hobby. I won't give up on it, but I will segregate it from because not all of my guitar players on my YouTube channel and music fans, not all of them drink beer. A lot of them do, mm -hmm. but not all of them do. So I'm like, I don't, you know, I want, let me keep that separate. Let me segregate that. So why did you go into that side of things? Dude, I, I grew a love for craft beer, like around 2010. Mm -hmm. uh, I was a very heavy drinker and among some other things, you know, uh, yeah. before I met my wife and, and, uh, and then, a year into our relationship, uh, I just decided I had too much to drink. And I, I didn't drink as much when I met her, but I still drink probably, you know, uh, kind of getting out. We all probably drink too much. You though. probably drink too much, yeah. But I wasn't like an anger guy. I was never an anger junk. I was more of like, hey, I love you, man. I was that kind of guy, you know. Yeah, yeah. But uh, one night Same. I started seeing uh, demons. Sometimes I'll see demons when I drink too much, you know. And and I think I kind of scared her at this nightclub we're at this time. And uh so I said, you know what? I'm just not going to drink anymore for a while. Hmm. I laid it down for a whole year. And then she, uh, we were at her parents' house one day, like 2010-ish, a year later. And she's like, you know what? Why don't you have a beer with my dad? And he had this beer called Singha, which is a Thai beer. Because, again, you know, he, her mom is Thai. Mm -hmm. And I tried. I'm like, I made a decision that day that, okay, I'll start drinking again. But I will only drink good quality beer which in the States is mainly craft beer. So I, yeah. and I became passionate about it. I like, I love craft mm. beer, dude. I love it. You know, yeah. like I've gone over a few times to America and the beer over there has been just shocking, really yeah. weak. What's yeah. called iron city. I think in Pittsburgh, man, I was oh, yeah, yeah. fucking drinking that shit and <laughs> nothing was happening. I was just going, what no, the dude. hell? What is and, this? Yeah. and as soon as I hit a city, I would always kind of go for the local brew. 
Yeah. So Iron City was so disappointing. Now this is long before any of this craft beer came into into probably fashion. Just any time I went over to Pittsburgh, you don't want to drink Budweiser. Um, there's Heineken no. there. Uh, fucking no. hell. Um, but as I said, <laughs> I just kept looking around. But the last experience when I was over um, last year to the Borg, um, it was great. There was so many different types of IPAs, so different types yeah. of brews. It's actually a bit head wrecking in the end. It was just like, Jesus, is there a menu? And Last holiday, I just asked the barman, going, which would you recommend? I don't want the usual shite. Just give me craft yeah. beer. You know? there's, so so, there's so many, man. It's the same. Ireland has just mushroomed with craft beer. That's awesome, it's, dude. That's awesome. Yeah. It's nuts. But um, it's funnily enough, as I said, I keep promoting it for free, but Pinnacle <laughs> is the best. <laughs> Finnish black lager. Um, oh, I love it. It looks My, good, dude. Yeah, oh, yeah. so good, so good. But uh, I have to ration it because it comes into Ireland every maybe yeah. two months. So I have to get it two trades if I can. Oh, dude. So anyway, getting back to it, um, was it a popular podcast? Did you go podcast with it? Yeah. No, no or was it just to stay at YouTube in it? Just I stayed with YouTube. I've, I've never, I've been toying around with the idea of a podcast. Uh, you know, me, I, I met a friend of mine in a marketing class for music. And um, this guy named Ken Candelas, he lives You've in New York. You've got a great voice for podcasting, dude. Well, I, I want to do it. We're actually thinking mm. about doing something together with it. We, we started a YouTube channel called Metal Mastermind, where we're helping musicians with practical things like studio, home recording things. And, uh, Brilliant. And so we're, we're going to do something. And, and I do want to get more involved. I, like you, you know, like we, we love this creative space, whether it's creating music, whether it's creating content, podcasts, writing, books, blog posts. Um, it's just the world. That's our world, dude. This is, this is our space, man. So we want to do everything we possibly can, but yeah, I'd love to do a podcast because like even what we're doing right now, I I enjoy this dude. This is like, you know, if I could just do this all day, (laughs) I might even give up playing music. I'm like, let me just, you know, I mean, half a joking, but I just enjoy it though, dude. This is fun, man. And developing your brand as a musician, Jason, um, I have to, give you huge credit. You, I mean, obviously you said like it took 10 fucking years of slogging. Like yeah. how hard was it not to look at other guys that come out of the blue and get huge subscriptions, huge hits. Yeah. So frustrating. I, I kind of get bogged down in that. And it's not, it's not in relation to my show. It's just when I, I see these guys fucking shooting a Nerf gun at a fucking a stuffed animal and it gets like 3 million views and you're just going, Oh <laughs> yeah. How hard was that? When was the change in point where you went, actually, I don't care. I'm doing my own thing. That's a very, that's a tough thing, dude. Like I look at, and there's a lot of guitar players I admire, like Ola England for one you know, mm. in Sweden. He's, <laughs> yeah. you know, the funny thing is a lot of these people that are YouTube famous now uh, started either maybe a little before or a little after I did. And you know, and, and again, I always look back and I blame myself for everything. And I don't mean that in a negative light, but if I truly look back and instead of saying, well, why did they make it so big? And I didn't, I got to look back and say that, well, I didn't treat it like a business, you know, and some people get lucky. Sometimes people just, it's a fluke. They get lucky, but oftentimes it's just a matter of consistency. And uh, I wasn't, I, I took some time where I wasn't consistent and didn't treat it like a business. I didn't really like dig in. I just like, well, I'm just going to make a video today, you know? Mm-hmm. So now I'm more strategic. So, and now like, now I have the mentality is like, I don't care if I have a million fans, I'd rather have a thousand hardcore fans that are going to spend a hundred bucks a year on my products 
yeah. there's my, there's my six figure income. You know what I mean? Yeah. So I, I'm not quite at that point yet, but um, something else I've learned is, you know, in, in our line of business, what we do, you and I both, we can't just rely on one stream of income either. We had to create multiple, you know, you had to have mm. a podcast, you had to have books, you had to have this and that. Mm. And you kind of have to like diversify yourself a little bit, yeah. but I just, I don't really care. It bothers me sometimes. I'm not going to lie, dude. It bothers me sometimes when I see people out there that are just, they're just blowing up. And like <laughs> you said, you see just like stupid stuff. Like, okay, how did that, you know? <laughs> yeah. But you got to move on for you. You got to move on. You can either spend time like dwelling on that or, or you can, you can turn that energy around and saying, well, I'm just going to work that much more and that much harder. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's it. Yeah. Work more and work harder and just yeah. not get fucking distracted by others. Yeah. Because it, it, it will bring down your headspace. It will, it will, it will kill your state like your state of mind, your state of being. And you know, like when you go to do a podcast, like before we went on here, like I was super excited before we got on. I'm like, man, this is going to be awesome. And you have to like really kind of like stand up and get some body movement, you know, do something to get your head in the right space before you go on to do something great. Uh, but what worrying about other people, when you look at other channels, they're just blowing up and you're like, well, they're blowing up. What's wrong with me? What's, what am I not doing? It's okay to think strategically about that, right? Discuss it's like, well, what am I not doing? Let yeah. me see. Where's this person? Okay, they've been putting out consistent videos every day for the past two years. Yeah. I haven't been. You know what I mean? Yeah, so yeah. like you you go back and you analyze things and then and you, you make a decision from there, okay. Well, is it feasible for me to make a video every day? Do I really want that? Yeah. Yeah. And I don't know. And and just because someone has a lot of views doesn't really mean they're making a lot of money, you know. Mm. Yeah, true how good is it to get feedback off fans what you're doing on the guitar it's it's awesome um and i i, I guess i specify lessons because you my youtube channel was mainly for kind of like i was doing a lot of lessons on there at one point now i've kind of merged it into more of an artist thing but mm. um i love i love getting the feedback dude is uh is very inspiring and yeah. i get i get a lot of feedback man and i don't have a big audience dude so it's extremely inspiring i know i'm doing something right and it's just it's just cool to be able to attract the type of people uh that are just cool people man you know yeah it's great and you are working on a follow-up to masterpiece yeah i am i'm working on um so i got two projects i'm working on dude one this next album i can tell you the name is called overcometh okay and i was gonna release it this year but i'm not quite done with all the tracks i still got mm -hmm. some it was going to be an instrumental, but I reached out to my fans and I asked them like, what do you guys want? Do you want like, do you want all instrumental like I did before? Uh, or do you want a mix of vocals instrumental or do you want mainly vocals a little, you know, and, and they all said definitely want vocals. You know, we need your death metal vocals. We need that. So this, so hands down, I'm writing lyrics now, but I've also got another, I've got a band project I'm going to be starting in 2021. And I, I can't nice. really talk much about that okay. right now because I'm going to be, this This will be actually trademarked. The name is trademarked. It, it is something I will own. Yeah. Uh, but I, I want that to be a band. I want it to be much bigger than just me. You know mm -hmm. what I mean? Like I want it to be more like a, a Nightwish meets Lacuna Coil meets, okay. uh, you know, that kind of thing, you know. Mm. These guys that you have in mind for that, I know there's so much benefits of being a solo artist, so much you've creative control, you know, you only have to answer to yourself. But socially wise, 
jamming with a few fucking musicians as surely is such a great feeling. I want to get back on the stage. It's, it's hard for me to even fathom playing my solo stuff on stage because, you know, Richie, I would literally, like, if I want to go play somewhere in Tampa right now, it's me as a solo artist, you know, and mm-hmm. I'm playing metal. I have to have a drummer and a bass player. Yeah, and I yeah. really need a second guitar player. Yeah. That means I have to hire those people, man. Yeah. Yeah. I'm probably not going to make enough money at the show to even cover that cost. No. So, like, playing live for me as a solo artist, it's just going to be me live streaming here, you know, which yeah. I plan to do something in the next couple of weeks. But it's, you know, because I can, I can play my background music here and play and sing along with it, you know, for mm-hmm. live stream. But I really... I really want to hit the stage again. One of my life goals is to play at the at the Wacken Festival in Germany, dude. Oh, man, that would be so cool. You've probably been there, haven't you? No, I haven't because it sells out nope. every year, man. It sells oh, out as soon as it's man. announced. And there's such a great choice in Europe yeah. for festivals. It's it's bearable not going there, if you know what I mean. Well, dude, well. You know, because I, I mean, want, I, I want to play in Europe for sure. Yeah. And I actually, I actually, I thought about, I don't even know, well, nothing's impossible, but, but for this band project I have in mind, I thought about like getting musicians from Europe. And even though we can't practice together, I can still write the songs. We can learn them as a band and get together and, and tour or whatever. I'm, I'm actually been talking to one of the drummers who uh, used to play for Delane. Oh uh, yeah, I've heard of them. Yep, I love Delane. Mm-hmm. Um, so Sanders. So I, you know, I've been chatting with him some. You know, I think he stopped playing for them in 2014, but he still he still records for other people and stuff. So, you know, I'm hoping to get because I want that European vibe in this other project so mm-hmm. bad, dude. I have to have that. You know? <laughs> you know? Man, that's great. It's great that you know you've plans for 2021. It's fantastic talking to you. You've just done so much by getting out of the rat race. And I admire you so much for having the courage to do that. Everybody that's listening, watching, just check out Jason's channel on YouTube. It's Jason Stalwart, isn't it, Jason? Yeah, just my name. Yeah, just yeah. Jason Stalwart. Dude. And you have a website. So maybe just go through how people can find you, man. You can literally just type in Google my name, Jason Stallworth, S-T-A-L-L-W-R-T-H. Um, that JasonStallworth.com is my website. And of course, I've got like links that go all over the place. But if you look up my name on Spotify, iTunes, YouTube, all those places, I'm there. I have an online shop as well. I know shipping CDs and T-shirts and stuff is a little costly going from the U.S. to Europe. But, uh, you know, I've got some, you know, some stuff on there as well. But, yeah, just just ty- just Google my names in, or mm. go jasonstallworth.com. That's uh, the best way to get me. And thanks a million for coming on the show, Jason. I really appreciate it, man. You were great Good. guests, great stories, and pleasure talking to you. No, you as well, Richie. Thank you so much for having me, man. I've, I've been really excited about coming on your show here. So this is a really, a really cool event, dude. Thank you. And listen to metal, more importantly. Yes, listen to metal. So you've been listening to Richie. This is the Smashing Skull Sessions with Jason Stalwart. And thanks for listening. Cheers. Hey, this is Richie, your host. I hope you enjoyed this episode. If you want the Metal Cell and Smash and Skull sessions to be free of ads, please hit that subscription button on the Metal Cell on YouTube and the Smash and Skull sessions on YouTube. And also, if you can, share and leave a rating. It all helps. Many thanks, Richie.